If your viewers can hear me, ladies and gentlemen, you have my most sincere apology. I am really, really sorry. I know a lot of y'all been waiting, and I am so sorry. I'm just not that tech dude. I'm not the IT dude. I punch people in the face and kick them in the nuts. That's what I do now. So I, so I apologize for all your, all your viewers. I, I am so sorry, and I hope to make this enjoyable. I swear to God, I hope to make this enjoyable. You know, the whole time, bro, is this because you didn't find my page? That's what it was? The whole that's time, what that's what it was. The one little the, the dumb, the dumb, <laughs> dumb shit on my part. So. <laughs> cool, I'm man. So sorry. All right, let's get into this, man. <laughs> Episode 57 with the legendary and, um, and knowledgeable Ron Wheeler, man, from the Warpath crew. Um, Tonight's going to be done. I know, I know it's a long wait tonight. It's 45 minutes in, but I swear to God, it'll be a really good episode. And, um, I'm very thankful to have you on here tonight. You're a living legend, bro, and I'm very honored to be a guest. And shout out to Disco Rob for making this happen tonight for Natural Elements Crew. So shout out to, um, to, to Disco Rob. Um, so let's go ahead and do this, man. Um, let's start with all – for you, I feel like for the hip-hop and martial arts thing, let's go back to 1984. Um, yep. And the significance of 1984 with the introduction of martial arts and hip-hop for you. Well, like I said, I came from martial arts into hip hop. So, you know, I mean, but you gotta remember, I'm I'm 57 now. So I was I was 12 when Rappers Delight came out <laughs> in 1977. So the same year Rappers Delight and Star Wars came out, I was 12 years old. So that was my introduction to hip hop, along with the rest of the world, it was through the Sugar Hill Gang. Uh, but hip hop itself, as far as getting into it, definitely by '84, I was in. That's like been my biggest hiatus from martial arts, but. I was, I mean, I was in it. I was, I was knee deep, as they say. I was knee deep in it. Um, loved every minute of it. Still love it today. Uh, I'm so happy that, uh, who would have thought in the Olympics? Who would have thought that something that was created in New York and the South Bronx by black and Latinos would make the Olympics, you know, in 2024? I mean, I, I can't wait to see that. Yes, sir. So how I mean, how do I start with you, the introduction of martial arts and then how did how did hip hop, you know, a little bit deeper into that, man? Well, like I, said, I was doing yeah, I was doing martial arts heavy, you know, training back in the day, you know, especially during the summertime, because you know, I you know, still in high school, no job, no no real girlfriend. So I was training. I literally was training like I'm not lying, like 10, 12 hours a day. I I'm not kidding. During the summertime, out of school, I'm, I was just getting it. And then once I started, um, I started off popping at first. And, uh, but later on, you know, I got into breaking and, you know, cause popping, you can look cool. You know, you wear baggies and, you know, thin ties and Pierre Cardin shirts and shit. You can look fly. You know, you can look like Morris Day at the time and still <laughs> get it in. But then uh, the breaking just, I don't know, it just kind of, it kind of spoke to me a little more with the movement and such. And, I started really getting into more of my beat, my breaking and leaving my popping. I mean, I kept it on the side because we have to do routines and stuff. But breaking is when I really gravitated to it. That by 84, uh, I was knee deep in it with this guy named Dale, who was from New York originally. He ended up moving back up there. He was actually one of the original members of the IBM crew back in the day, but he ended up moving back to New York. And Dale, um, Dale was probably one of the last what we call flat-handed breakers. Most guys tend to break now like this, like on their fingertips a little bit, 
but Dale was flat-handed, so he taught me flat-handed. So the footwork was a lot different. It was a lot different. Mm. So it's kind of funny about that, huh, man. I feel like um, before Warpath, you were a part of the Immortal Breakmasters. So how did that start for you? How did you join the IBM, and oh. then what, what led you to join the Warpath crew after that? What events led to that? Yeah, IBM. IBM. Yeah, I was in for a short stint, but I was in it. Uh, what happened was I had some friends of mine uh, that were trying out. They were doing tryouts one day at this church up on 16th, 16th and um, Harvest Street. And I just went with them. I went with them, you know, just kind of more support for them. I wasn't looking to try out, but everybody knew me. And so the manager at the time, Cindy, she said, Ron, do you want to try out? I said, I'm not here to try out. I'm just here here with them, you know, and she said, well, you're here. Why don't you just go ahead and try out? I was like, all right, well, well okay, whatever. So I got up, did my thing, did what I did. Next thing you know, I made the, what they call the auxiliary crew, uh, which was the backup for the main crew. So if the main crew had shows and anybody from the main crew couldn't make the show or got sick or was injured, they would pluck somebody from the auxiliary crew and stick them in. So I ended up doing just that, uh, I think about three weeks into my tenure there. Um, and we did a show. We did. I did two shows with them. I did one out at Wild World, or what was called Water World, and now it's Six Flags. And then we did a show at Wolf Trap, and we opened. I remember that vividly because we opened for four, the Four Tops and the Temptations at Wolf Trap. We were the opening act for them, and that was in '84. Uh, I think that maybe around, maybe around about July of '84. I think. Okay. And then we'll let it over to Warpath. How that leads us that? Well, the original captain of Warpath was a guy named Mark Jefferson. And Mark had made me an offer, but he never really carried through on it. You know, he, he, you know, we talked and, you know, we chopped it up a little bit. Said he wanted to bring me in, and he didn't do it. What happened was when we ended up did the show at Waterworld, they happened to be out there. It was Mark, uh, the guy that ended up being my best friend on the crew, named William Rivers, um, and a guy named... Uh, uh, Fry, Anthony Fry. So they saw me in this IBM shirt, and Mark was like, he said, what the hell are you wearing? I said, hey, man, look, I it, I got it on by dumb happenstance, but I, it really, it just wasn't a good fit. I had a rival within IBM, and it just wasn't a good fit. And I told him, I said, you put me in Warpath, I'm out. I'm out of this shirt. I'm out of this shirt, you know. And so he said, you're going to be in, you know, I'll call you later on tonight. So we talked that night, and I think about a couple of weeks later, I left, you know, I left IBM. Okay. So, so can you paint the landscape a little bit for us? For so people that, like myself, weren't running around in the 80s, like, what was the landscape like back in the 80s? Like, what crews were really, like, creating the scene back then for that area, for Maryland, D.C., VA? If you can, like, introduce us to that, that world. Yeah, I mean... Most of the crews back then, there was only there were a lot of crews coming up. You know, let me let me say that there were a lot of crews coming. That they, that doesn't mean they were all good, but there was a lot of, um, you know, I mean, some crews. I remember, I remember some crews, man, having like, like 12, 13, 14 guys. I was like, God damn, a lot of people, a lot of people. But the best crews, the, the crews that really made an impact, um, was obviously Warpath. IBM, definitely. Um, crew out of uh, Virginia, Breakatron, 
Later on, there was another crew out of Virginia called Rock Nasty. Um, there was a crew that was a combination of Baltimore and Washington. They were known as BW Breakers. Um, and then um, there were, you know, individuals. But and then the, the other two crews I could think of that made an impact, although they, they well, they clowned us because they were making money and we weren't. <laughs> we clowned them, but they were making money was the Mighty Papa Lots and a group called the Metro City Lockers. So those are the crews that made, like, the, the biggest impact, um, without a doubt, without a doubt. Okay. So I feel like everybody, all the big names had their rivals, you know, at some point in their careers, whether you're an NC, whether you're a graph head, or whether you're a B-boy. I feel like there's a person that you brought up when we were talking one-on-one. Um, what, what's the whole story with you and this person named DeAndre? How, how, and what made that, that rivalry so so impactful for you? Uh, yeah, a guy named uh, DeAndre Bottoms. And shout out to DeAndre. He's still around. You know, good for him. He's still around. He's doing well. Um, but um, we didn't start off as rivals, but we became rivals. We grew up in, in this point. I, I was told, telling you the other, uh, you know, we were kicking it, you know, before we aired. Most of the best breakers or the majority of the best breakers seem to come from the Mount Pleasant section of the city. They either lived on 16th Street, 14th Street, Ontario Road, Ontario Place, Lanier Place, Hobart Street. You know, I mean, they just, it seemed like the concentration of the best B-boys came between, you know, anywhere between Mount Pleasant, uh, Columbia Road, Adams Morgan, Columbia, you know, Columbia Heights. They came from that area. Uh, myself and DeAndre, um, he ended up in IBM. I knew him from around the way. And he was making a name for himself, B-Boy and stuff, and I was just starting out the same. And um, most people seemed to practice at Lincoln Junior High School, which was on 16th and Irving Street. Um, and then later, he got into IBM. And, you know, I, I, you know, I'm not sure how we became rivals, per se, but we ended up being rivals. But, um, one thing I told you is DeAndre, uh, his breaking was, was, it was okay then. It got better. But the one thing he was phenomenal at, um, I mean, like I said, you look at Red Bull BC1, I mean, he was doing stuff in that guys do now in Red Bull BC1 as far as their top rock, you know, which is before you get down on the ground. DeAndre was phenomenal with it. I mean, he absolutely was. Um, love him, hate him, like him or dislike him. He was phenomenal. His top rock was phenomenal. Nobody could beat him top rock. And his top rock was so good, he'd scared guys that could actually beat him breaking. I saw him do it many times. Many times. I, I saw him at least about 10, 12 times. And guys that I knew could actually take him breaking, but he'd scared the shit out of these guys. And they just would not go up against him. And I would tell him, you can take him. No, no, man, no. You see that top rock? Man, he can't, man, he can't break. He can't. I'm telling you, he can't break. You got it. No, man. They would literally be petrified and would not go. And then later, his breaking got better, which made him a double threat. You know, he got he got hard to handle when he when his breaking got when he really concentrated on his breaking. He got hard to handle, but he, without a doubt, DeAndre was the poster child for IBM. Uh, he told me later on why he left, um, and for whatever you know, likes and dislikes that he and I had. You know, he had a sense of integrity about him. He, he didn't like something that went down with the crew and the manager and stuff. He told me what happened. And I was like, yeah, I would have walked away too. So, you know. There was a, I feel like um, in the 90s, you know, some of the iconic 
you know, rivalries, I guess you could say it was Natural Elements and, um, you know, LOZ, obviously. But I feel like in the 80s, IBM and Warpath, you know, were known to clash a lot in like on, on, on the streets, you know, on the battles. Um, there was an iconic battle you told me about yesterday between IBM and Warpath. And you told an excellent story about that, man. What what events led to this 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 epic clash down between you both, and what made that battle so important between IBM and Warpath on on three yeah, occasions, that, right? Yeah. yeah, we battled. We battled the we we would always cross paths on the street down Georgetown, you know, behind you know Canal Street, you know, down behind Georgetown Park Mall. Then it was a little bit of the, the, the office building further down uh, M Street. Or Wisconsin Avenue, just before you get to K Street, we would, you know, that that place was like real nice to, to battle at, uh, really smooth brick and stuff. Um, but the big battle, the main battle, because we 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 crossed paths, but we really didn't battle. But that battle was a was the battle, and that was at um, this church on Fifteenth and Irving Street, you know, wherever, like I said, up in the up in the area where most of the breakers seem to come from. Um, and I was with Mark Jefferson all day. And Mark lived out at Tacoma Park at the time. So I took the subway out to Mark's house. He met me at the station. We walked back to his house. We practiced, practiced, practiced. And we mapped out the battle. Who would go up against who? Who would battle who? And the rap, the battle was in two phases. There was a break, a b-boy battle, and then a rap battle. And Eddie Phillips was our rapper. And so he was going to rap against Frank Steve. Um, so the battle itself was, you know, we, we planned it out. I mean, we really strategized this thing. And I said, we're going to put this person against this person, this person against this person, and so on and so forth. And um, now, again, DeAndre and I were rivals at that time. So um, I, I, just like I told you yesterday, I said, nobody takes DeAndre but me. I'm going after DeAndre. And he and I started. He and I started. And the battle started off at first, and then it kind of got chaotic. And, you know, everybody was getting ready to start. We, you know, the fist fights were going to start to break out. We broke it apart. We said, let's try it again. And we decided one person with each person, each crew would send out one person. And you battle that one person, and the crowd would decide who won that battle. So we had an even number of people. I think IBM had eight, and we had eight. And so I was, so DeAndre went first, and I went up against DeAndre. And he did what I know, he, what I knew he would do. Uh, you know, his top rock was phenomenal. I mean, he was on fire. And DeAndre was a good looking dude. <laughs> the girls, the girls are screaming and hollering his name. And I'm just, I'm standing there like, you know, 19, like this is bullshit. You know, <laughs> like, you know, but I'm like, I got to get him on the ground. I said, if I can get him on the ground, if I get him breaking, I can take him, and I can end this. And so he's, I mean, but he's getting, he's, he's working. I'm standing there looking at him. And I was like, you know, I just, I was like, you know, break, you know, stop, stop all this bullshit, break, you know, break away. And as soon as I got there, I got in his, I, I got in his ego, I, I, I challenged his ego, and he got down on the ground. And then he tried to, I, I think he, I think he tried a hand glide, if I'm not mistaken. But he tried something he never really practiced, and he didn't have it wired. And so when he messed up, I was like, I went, got you now. <laughs> So I did my little bit of top rock, which wasn't bad. It was okay. But my floor work was on point. And I just, I lit him up. I lit his ass up. And, and of course, I won that part. So we were off on the, we were, we were in the winning column. And um, we ended up, 
Um, everything settled. Everybody went out. You know, each person went out, this, that, the other. And there was no repeat. You could not repeat a move. Um, and so we, um, we ended up winning that battle. And then the MC part started. They didn't call a winner. And then I think the, the MC phase started, and then a fight broke out. And it was a massive fight. I remember stepping outside with my girlfriend at the time, and I came back. I was gone maybe five minutes, maybe five minutes. And we walked back, and as we were walking into the church, everybody was the basement, was the basement of a church. Everybody was just pouring out, pouring out, pouring out. And the cops came, people got arrested, Mark got arrested, we had to go get Mark, bail him out, it was crazy. It was crazy, I mean, it was nuts. So the next day, Frank Ski, the manager, and, uh, and MC, and DJ, he got on, he was running a show called Break of Delight on UDC's radio station. And he commented on the battle and said, you know, it was, it was something he had never seen before and it was a great battle. And he felt that it was a tie, which we were like, bullshit, there ain't no damn tie. And, every, and everybody was calling the station. People would, and you could call in, and everybody was calling the station, telling them, there was no tie, y'all. IBM lost. There's no tie. So that night, we went down. I remember we went down Georgetown, a bunch of us, not the whole crew, but we went down Georgetown, and we hit Georgetown. And everybody that was there that night, the night before, saw us in Georgetown, and they would just congratulate us up and down. They were just congratulating y'all, man, y'all beat IBM, blah, 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 blah. But that was the biggest battle at that time in the city. So that's what that was. And what year was this? What year was what, what year does all this break down? 84. I think it was, um, it was, it, I think it was either late August, it was late July, early August of 84. I know it wasn't mm -hmm. June because I'd already turned 19. I was 19 in June. I know it wasn't right after my birthday. So, it was somewhere between late late July, early August of '84. Hmm. So there's a couple, just two little pin notes I got here. The first one I want to touch on. Could you get some really great? You're excellent storytelling. I feel one story you told me about also was the influence of B Street and these two iconic uh, battles yeah. that happened. Can yeah. you give us a little insight about the, the the B Street battles in DC? I mean, there was another battle. There was another big notch you think about. Uh, well, the B Street, B Street was the movie. Uh, now, let me, let me back up. Let me preface it with this. The first B-Boy movie, the first movie, and, I, and it's funny because when you look at it, you're like, you're not sure, did you want to do a movie or a documentary? <laughs> what y'all want to do? Was Wild Style, which is what this shirt is patterned after. And those of you who see Cookie Wear, shout out to my girl Noodles, Michelle Smith. You can see her go to her store. In D.C., cookie wear, old school hip-hop fashion, you'll love it. So um, Wild Style came out in late 83, I believe. At least it debuted here in late 83. And I saw it, and that's when I was popping. And I, um, I, actually, remember, I actually remember running into Charles Gore that day, that night at the, at the theater. And he actually was quoted in the Washington Post about, about b-boying and hip-hop at that time. So Wild Style was definitely the film. That was the very first film. And then Beat Street. Breaking was, was was okay. But when we saw Beat Street, it was just like another level. I mean, it was just like the Rock City crew, uh, New York City Breakers, Dynamic, you know, uh, uh, Fantastic Force, uh, Kumo D, you know, Dougie Fresh when he, when he first started. That's how Dougie Fresh got famous. 
That's how he got famous from Beat Street doing the beatbox. Um, you know, it was the Kumo D was uh, it was Kumo D truck. Uh, it's called the Treacherous Three. Kumo D Special K and L.A. Sunshine, and they did a Christmas rap, and Dougie Fresh did the beatbox on there, and it was it was phenomenal. You see, the, you see, it, it's it's hilarious. Um, but they showed us how to dress, the style, this, that, the other. So everybody was wearing Pumas. We were wearing Pumas like they were going out of style. <laughs> Like they were going out of season. Um, and uh, th to promote the film, they came to, they were on a tour, and they came to the Wax Museum, the old Wax Museum down in Southwest. I was not there, but I knew everybody that was there, and I remember what was told to me. Um, and I knew the guy. We had a guy named Mark Cooper. IBM had a guy named Mark Cooper. Mark Cooper was originally part of uh, BW Breakers, Baltimore Washington Breakers. And Mark Cooper and I went to high school together. And Mark was a windmill specialist. I mean, Mark had, Mark had air tracks, which is windmills on, on your head. He had rim, rim, air tracks before anybody else in the city had air tracks. And as I told you yesterday, I, you could feel the breeze from his legs. His windmill kicks were hard. Well, he battled action for the New York City Breakers because they were on tour to promote the film. He battled action at the Wax Museum and just lit his ass up. He humiliated action. Humiliated action to the point where powerful Pexter got so mad at Mark, he wanted to battle Mark, you know. But um, it was it was funny. Uh, matter of fact, Mark, another battle, real quick for Mark, uh, the group Nucleus with the song Jam on it. Mark battled all three of those guys and beat him <laughs> by himself. He battled, you know. That was it. We wanted to be, we wanted to make a rep. So, but there was another iconic battle. Same player in, in Columbia, on Columbia Road in front of the Safeway in the middle of the street, Spanish Festival. And I believe that was 85. And there was a group that came down from New York that had did a book on breakdancing. And this guy named, I can't, I can't remember his name, but he was the manager of a group called Electro Body Rockers, which is a local group. And he, hired, he got them to come down and uh, perform. Okay. Well, they came down and they had like red hind bodysuits. At that time, um, you know, everybody was wearing, all the top crews seemed to be wearing hind bodysuits. Hind is a, they make uh, ski suits, but this, the material is really smooth, so it's great for spinning. Okay, they came down, they were performing on Columbia Road, this, that, the other, and we were like, okay, whatever, no problem. And they started talking crazy, crazy talk. This is DC B-Boy. And we were like, you know, we were like, who the hell you think you're talking to? So they were like, you know, you know, you know, they challenged us to a battle. Not every crew had everybody up there, meaning not at full strength. So the crews that went to Spanish Festival, there were parts of crews. And so, but they had their whole crew. So we said, okay, fine. You want a battle? Let's do it. So we picked members of each crew to make a crew right in there to represent D.C. Mm. And we and, and when I tell you we lit that ass up, we lit that ass up. We wasn't playing. And we had the best of the best from each crew. And everybody in that squad was a specialist. My specialty was my footwork, combinations, and swipes. And I remember they had a guy, and he came out and he did his swipe. <laughs> and everybody looked at me. They're like, Ron? <laughs> they're like, and I stepped up, and I was like, that, I was like, that's, you, that's the best you got? 
And he's like, he was talking shit. I was like, and I looked back and everybody was like, get him, Ron, get him, get him. And I did my footwork and I was crushing. I spun up, I spun up out of the footwork, stood up on my feet, looked at him and came around. I was still spinning. I was like, I said, watch this shit. And went back down in my footwork fast, did about 15 double leg swipes where your legs are together. Then went one leg and did about 15 of those. And then spun up out of there and just stood there like this. And everybody jumped on me like, oh, shit. You know, I mean, we, we lit their ass up. We was not playing. We humiliated those guys. Because, but we wasn't thinking about it. We wasn't even thinking about battling. You know, we don't, we were like trying to meet girls and stuff like that, but they started talking crazy. And then the word got out that they were talking crazy. We were like, okay, let's pull it, let's, let's form a crew right here. And we did. It, we, it was the best of what DC had to offer. And we lit their ass up. And they, they just left literally with their tails between their legs. So, damn. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> Some history right there, bro. <laughs> there are what some the pictures from that Safeway. I have, I've actually seen. I can't remember who I saw it from, but there are pictures. People were climbing on top of the roof of the Safeway, taking pictures, you know, and I have seen them. I was like, isn't that that battle we went? You know, it was crazy. One thing um, I want to put emphasis on, man, um, and you went really into deep detail, and I want everybody to hear this tonight, man. Like, what was what was the history of Warpath? If you could break down the lineage of Warpath to your best conception, and like the ideologies of Warpath and what made you guys different from everybody else, if you could speak on that a little bit. Warpath was, um, <clears throat> in my opinion, a lot grittier than 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 crews. It's not that other crews weren't good. I mean, other crews there was like I said, the crews I named were 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 standout crews. I think the thing that made Warpath special was we 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 were a lot grittier, but we also hung out a lot. Um, with each other. We went to the movies, like my, my, my friend at the time, you know, R.I.P. to William Rivers. Um, William and I became, like, unbelievably fast friends. Unbelievable. Um, and William and I, I mean, we were around each other all the time. So when Mark left, um, the crew was already strong when I got there. Um, if I can remember everybody, I hope I don't forget any names, but the first generation which would be the founders of the crew the, the original guys that started would be charles gore ronald johnson uh mark jefferson eddie phillips we had three it's funny we had, like i said we had three eddies <laughs> we had a uh, new york eddie a white dude named eddie and then eddie phillips and his last his full name was eddie xavier phillips so i was thought of professor x when i thought of him so it was easy to remember his name um, so we had three Eddies. Um, we had this, this white girl that could pop. And I'm, I, I told you yesterday, and I'm not making this up, ladies and gentlemen, this is her dance name. It's not something we called her. But her dance name, when, I, when Mark told me, I was like, are you kidding? She wants to be called that? Are you serious? Why would she? Uh, okay. But her <laughs> dance name was literally white bit. I'm, I'm not making this up. But she could pop. I mean, she could really pop. So... Um, and then uh, I think Lawrence Dorsey was in was uh, one of the original members of the crew. Later, when I got there, um, William William Rivers was there, Anthony Fry was there, um, 
Apache was not there. Ronald Jones, he, he was known by Apache. He had left to join IBM. Um, I don't, we had two other dancers that went with IBM. I met them on a show named Courtney and Wayne. Uh, good poppers and, and, and Wayne could break. Wayne was really tall. But um, I don't remember if they were in, in Warpath. I, I know they were associates, associated with us. Uh, or, or at least with marketing. But by the time I knew Courtney and Wayne being on the crew, the only crew I knew them to be in was IBM at that time. Um, and then uh, my time when I came in in 84, William was there, Fry was there, um, John, Phil, the two brothers, one older, one younger. Um, Eddie was still there. Eddie, both... You know, the white guy named Eddie, Eddie was on his way out because he was going to go to college, and so was Mark. Um, I think that's about it. But uh, when Mark left, he asked me to take over as captain. I was like, what you, nothing. What are you doing? I looked at him, I'm like, what are you, nothing? Are you crazy? I just got in the group. How the hell are you going to have me take over? He said, Ron, you're the oldest guy. You're the oldest guy, one of the oldest guys here. I need somebody solid. So I was like, why would they go listen to me? I'm, you got guys that have been in the crew since the beginning. Why did why? They're not going to listen to me. I just got here. And why, and why should they? So he said, Ron, you can do it. And I was like, uh-uh. I was like, I can't do it. So what I did was I talked to William, and William and I co-captained together uh, uh, for, a good long, for a good long time. We co-captained together. And then um, he, William dropped off, and then I, I captained uh, the crew up until uh, 86. I captain the crew up until 86. Now, and then you get guys like Ricardo Spade, um, Eric. I can't think of Eric's last name, but we call them Sticks. Um, Antoine, Quentin, uh, Antoine Walker. I can't think of Quentin's last name. They came in from West Palm Beach, Florida. They're originally from there. Um, yeah, so there was – but we had a strong crew, and we practiced hard. Um, and me having a martial art background um, – and fitness, I always like being fit because I don't smoke a drink. I, I don't smoke a drink to this day. Um, you know, I was always about doing it right, you know, doing it right. Because our goal was, for everybody in this area, our goal was to be like the Rocksteady crew, to be like New York City Breakers and, to, you know, make that that money and such. So you had to be on point. You know, they were on point. We had to be on point. That was, that was the goal. Um, so we practiced hard. We practiced hard. And like I said, when I was talking to you the other day, as we were setting this up with sticks, he was, he was actually in Electro Body Rockers. I remember that distinctly. Uh, we were short a guy, uh, uh, we also got a guy named Charles Lewis, who I met at a party just by happenstance, and I brought him in later. Uh, he had a gymna- little bit of a gymnastic background. I, I, we need somebody to flip. Uh, but his breaking got exceptionally good, uh, and his pop. Uh, but sticks was. Uh, he was one of the people that we, he had a birthday party not too long ago. We did a Zoom conference um, during the pandemic. And I asked him a question and I said, stick to me or did your break and seem to get really, except like a lot, lot better really in a short period of time? He said, yeah, because I was practicing with you guys. He said, when he was with the, his former group, they practiced loose, you know, and he was all about trying to get better, trying to get good, trying to be as elite as we could take it. And so when we brought him into Warpath, he said that was a perfect fit for him. So he said, yeah, he said, God, he said, you made me get good because I had to get good. And so they, you know, he, you know, 
Uh, but everybody was like that. All the guys, all the guys were, were were exceptionally strong and exceptionally good. I mean, because we practiced all the time. When we were bad, it seemed like, and like I said, we seemed like we were battling like everywhere. You go down Georgetown, you know, you walk down there to the post office. The post office pavilion, you could always run into somebody, always run into somebody, and they would call you out. You know, sometimes you walked away. You know. Um, some crews after a while were, you know, we, we knew who was good and we knew who wasn't. Um, as I said the other day, battling, like, we became good friends with Breakatron um, out of Virginia, and those guys could break. And uh, we never battled them. Uh, and I think, I think it was a mutual respect thing. We knew what they had, and they knew what we had. But it, if I had to think about it, they would have probably beat us, but it would have been hard because I said, the other day, and I think they knew it would have been a hard battle because we weren't going to just give up. That wasn't going to happen. We give it, give it up. You, you're not going to walk over us. That that didn't happen. <laughs> you know? And like I said, you know. Now I will. On a side note, I do want to mention this one battle I saw down um, off of, off of um, not below uh, Georgetown Park Mall in the another cut area. We used to battle at really nice and break at between Ian, this white boy from Ian, his name was Ian from Breakatron, and this guy out of New York that came down named Paul. Paul was good. And when I mean Paul was good, and Ian was good. Ian was good, but Paul could pop and break. And it was kind of hard to tell which one he did better than the other because he was so good at both. But um, Ian, Ian was not a slouch. Ian was a white boy that had respect. He was with a serious crew. And he would, he would, he, nobody really battled Breakatron because they were afraid of him. Paul was not afraid of anybody. And so Paul was here to battle. And I watched Ian and Paul go at a bunch of us did. And I'm not going to forget this. Paul was, Ian could also was a gymnast. So you could do gymnastics. They matched up in everything. Footwork, swipes, windmill, head spin. Turtles, they matched up in everything, combination. I mean, it was just, we were like, we were just standing there going, God damn, he's bleeding shit. So Ian, I think he just, I think he got desperate. And he used his gymnastics on it. And we watched Ian, I watched that boy run to the wall, the solid brick wall, run up the wall and flip off the wall and land on his feet. Like he came, and we were like, oh shit. And we looked at Paul, and Paul took a deep breath. He went, and he ran. He just ran to the wall, and he he did the same thing. He ran up and flipped off the wall. He landed on his feet. He landed a little bit lower, but he did land completely on his feet. His hands never touched the ground. We were just like, oh, shit. It's, oh, Lord, good Lord. And so it basically ended up being the draw. I walked up to Paul. And I told him, I said, man I, man, I know you can flip off the wall. He leans over to me. He's like, I never did that before. I was like, what'd you say? He said, he said, I, he said, I don't like to lose. <laughs> he had never done it in his life. He just was so pissed. He just didn't want to lose. He did not want to lose. But that, I mean, but he, of all the guys from Breakatron, like that battle, if Breakatron battle, that one I witnessed, and I, I I will never forget that. I mean, Ian was not Ian was not a slouch. Ian was not a slouch at all. So, 
Shout out to Breaker trying to end, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like there's one thing that we didn't talk on, but a couple of people want to ask about this. Um, and it's about documentation. I feel like um, yeah, we're, in, yeah. we're in this we're in this era now where everybody can just record every single thing with their cameras. Everything goes on YouTube, and I feel like you guys were in an era where that kind of thing was always available. So, yeah. being a person that can see that seen both worlds, yeah. like. What made what made the eighties special for not being able to have that documentation and stuff? You know, I'm, I'm gonna tell you. And I asked DeAndre. We we we. You know, my girl Michelle Smith. She's working a project on the history of hip hop in DC, and she brought in every everybody she knew. And DeAndre and I were there. They were actually a little concerned about DeAndre and I being in a room together. They were actually a bit concerned. Uh, they didn't know how we were going to react to that. But I hadn't seen DeAndre in like. I think the last time I, at that time until 2016, I think the last time I saw DeAndre, I think it was probably 80, 86 or 87 at a martial arts tournament. Uh, I know he started doing Taekwondo and I, you know, and I got back into art. So that's the last time I can remember seeing him. So they were a bit concerned because we really did not like each other. And we, he walked in the store and I saw him and he saw me. I was like, yo, D, what's up? And we hugged, and they were, it was like, <gasps> oh my, they, they, nobody could believe. They couldn't believe. So, and, I, and what you just touched on, I said, you know, we were talking about taking pictures back then. And, and I figured, if anybody got photos, it's got to be him. It's got to be. You know, he's, he's the poster boy for IBM. He, he got to have something. And I said, D, I know, I know you got, I know you got pics. He said, Ron, I don't have nothing. He said, All right, I, I'm serious. He said, Ron, we were, and he said, we were living in the moment. So stuff was just happening so fast. We didn't have time to take pictures. And I kind of agree with him. Stuff was just happening so fast. We didn't, we know, that's why there's not a lot of documentation. There's not a lot of photos. Um, it's all word of mouth, or you were, you, you were either there or you weren't there. Um, Crews, you know, stuff like that. It's just, you know, now, now crews, everybody knows who was in what crew. And everybody knows who wasn't in what crew. <laughs> so um, you're not going to, you know, if you run into OGs like that, like myself or DeAndre or Dorsey, everybody knows who was where and everybody knows who was who and what was what. You know, that, that was just it. You know, that was the way. But we didn't, we didn't take a lot of photos. So now, we, you know, with social media, Instagram, YouTube, Snapchat, this, that, the other, TikTok, you know, you want to document this stuff. Um, there's very few photos. There's only a few clips of, like, um, uh, uh, the Rocksteady crew battling dynamic in New York. There's only – there's not that much. There really isn't that much. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's stuff that came later, like in the 90s. There's stuff that's documented. You know, you know this – you know, Rocksteady has a, a – I guess they still have an annual get-together of all the Rocksteady crew. Um, so that stuff is documented. But we're talking, you know, especially D.C., Maryland, Virginia. You know, if you find somebody, you know, that's got it, good luck. You know, good good luck and, you know, see if they'll let you, you know, you know download it, take a print, and, you know, put it on a disc, you know, or, or thumb drive or whatever. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's just what it is. I mean, we just didn't take a lot. We really were living in the moment. You know, we were as, 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 as uh, uh, I think it was actually, I think it was uh, some one of New York City breakers. He said we were just, you know, 
80s exploitation kids. I mean, we were trying to make money doing shows. And, you know, if you could break, you know, they, if you could do a backspin, they would take your ass and put you in a commercial. <laughs> you know, that's the way it was back then. You know, they didn't care. You know, you, you didn't have to be famous. You know, the, the, the New York City Breakers did, you know, a, a, a you know, get out the boat ad, you know, during uh, Reagan's re-election. You know, that was, that was nuts. <laughs> you know, that was crazy, you know. It is what it is. But so, yeah, there's not a lot of document, not a lot of physical documentation, you know. Like I said, unless you talk to the, the original people who were there, who know, yeah, there's just not a lot. And you're going mm-hmm. to know who knows because everybody, everybody's, we're still all connected to each other. So you, you can't say crazy stuff out there. You'll get, you'll, you will get caught. And, then so, and unfortunately, on social media now, you'll get caught and you're going to get called out. One thing um, I also wanted to speak on tonight that I feel you're the perfect person for is um, I had Vortex on earlier uh, this season, and you painted a really good picture of the 90s club scene along with Shogun, and I feel like you're a person that – he also shed light a little bit on, on the 80s club scene. Um, I want your perspective on what the 80s club scene was like for you as a dancer, and if you could paint that world for us that I didn't get to experience as well. Yeah, I mean, by the time, it's funny, by the time I started getting in the club, <laughs> by the time I started going to the club, everybody was getting out. <laughs> by the time I started getting it in, everybody was leaving. I'm like, you know, but I was b-boying. So, um, you know, we were doing shows and, and, and stuff like that. Usually if we go to the club, you know, b-boying takes up a certain amount of room and space, so... You know, while they kind of liked you being there, they, they really didn't want you there because you were taking up the floor. <laughs> B-Boy just takes up space. You know, it just does. Um, there was a couple of hip-hop spots. We had a little hip-hop spot. God, I can't remember. Forget, got that. Um, there was an old department store called the uh, Landsberg Department Store down on 7th Street. Uh, lower in Chinatown, just just outside Chinatown before you hit Pennsylvania Avenue. So it became known as the Landsberg Building. And it was sort of like this cultural arts center. Like they had painting, you know, going on one floor, and, you know, sculpting going on one floor, and this, that, the other. And they had this, this area that really wasn't being used. Now, I don't know how Eddie, what about Eddie, Eddie, Eddie Phillips, our, our, our rapper, I don't know how he talked, him and somebody else talked these people into letting us take this space in the Landsberg building that was off to the side. It was probably, and now that I think about it, it was probably more of a loading dock area um, and turn it into a club, into a hip hop club. Um, um, and we called it the crib. And there were a lot of, you know, um, Graffiti artists, they got to put their murals up and stuff like that. And um, I remember, you know, we were doing all this work. And it was funny because um, we were doing all this work. And what I mean by we, by, I mean Warpath was doing all this work. And Eddie was, you know, part of the crew. And when I mean doing work, I mean like heavy work. Um, scraping up broken tile, trying to clear the floor out, sand the floor and all this stuff and we're painting and you know, stuff is, you know, dropping on me. We're carrying we're doing a lot of heavy lifting and stuff. And a lot of these crews that were 
not great crews. They were okay, you know, but they were always hanging around and they, they wasn't helping doing the work. And at one point, you know, Eddie was like not happy about something as far as how things were looking. And we're helping him do all this work. And nobody else is helping him but Warpath. And, you know, I'm of the, I'm of the mind, and I've always, been, I've always had this. If I help you and you, you crap on me for me helping you, and, and you're not paying me, you're not paying me a dime, and I'm helping you trying to make your dream come true, and then you crap on me, well, that, that, that work stops. Help stops. And so I remember Eddie just went into this tirade. And he was like, F this person, F that person, F this person. And me and William was sitting there. Me and William, William, William was sitting there. And he's, you know, and he's blaming all these people. And then it's like, but we're the ones helping him. We're the ones doing the bulk of all this heavy lifting and digging up this and moving this and pulling this down and ripping this down. And then he says, you know, F, F, F this person. F, F. And then the next thing here he says, we hear him say, an F war path. And we were like, what'd you say? I, oh, okay, got it. F war path, no problems, no problem. I'm, I'm like, that's it. Work for me, stop. I was like, that's it. William was like, then Eddie tried to apologize, and William was like, come on, Ron, man, you got that? No, 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 no. He's not paying us a dime, and he says go f f the crew he's in. Uh, uh-uh. uh, let it let those other guys do the work. I'm not doing shit no more. I was like, kiss, kiss my ass. I'm not doing shit. And I did. I said, these are smiling. All them cats do all that damn work. I said, you know, I'm having stuff fall on my fingers. You know, one time something fell and it pinned my hand against the step. And it was quite heavy. You know, and I was like, you know, I know it was at least a couple hundred pounds. Now, my fingers didn't break. But, you know, the point is, you know, I'm doing all this work trying to help you make your dream come true. And then you're going to turn around and, and, and stab us in the back, you know, you know, you know, I'm like, uh-uh, we're the guys helping you. Don't, you don't do that. But the club did get open. And, uh, yeah, it was a hip-hop spot. And I remember, I think the highlight of the club's tenure was, I'm not, and I'm not sure how she got down there or why she was there, but um, Roxanne Shantae came down there with her DJ Howie T. And we were all like, what? What's going on? You know, and she rolled up in there and started rapping. And her and Howie T could DJ. And he got up on the DJ booth. I remember him going up in there. And he started scratch mixing. And we was all like, oh, shit, it's on now. And Frank, I think, somehow, I think Frank Ski had invited him. Now that I think about it, somehow Frank had invited him to come down or something. And... One thing you should not do is, if you're an okay DJ, you don't follow uh, a high-level DJ. If you're a B-plus DJ, you don't follow an A-plus DJ. You don't do it. Don't do what he do. Stay in your lane. Don't humiliate yourself. And Howie T got up there, like I said, and he was scratching. <laughs> like, it wasn't nothing. Like, he was just, like he was standing there, like, you know, like if somebody said, yeah, pass me some coffee. Like, he would be drinking coffee, scratching, not looking. He was doing it like that, if you had him coffee. And I don't know why Frank did this, but he decided to try to follow behind that. And we were just like, really, Frank? Really? You want to do this to yourself? 
You want to humiliate yourself in front of everybody? Just, just, just mix this damn song and get on with it. But it was humiliating. But that was the only real hip hop spot that we had. And I think that stayed open for about maybe almost two years. Maybe, maybe almost two years. You know, but it was a nice, it was a nice spot. It was a nice spot. We, you know, we really did a lot of work on it and such. And you know, um, they made they made a, a decent amount of money. But you know, it was it was. It was it was something to see. So, but that would really be the only true hip hop club in DC that I could think of. You know, other than that, I mean, like I said, you know, breakers. We take up we take up room. We 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 take up room. So, you know, that, you know they you know a lot of the other clubs they would they wouldn't feel that. And you can forget about doing that and going to a, a club that plays go go. That is not going to happen. <laughs> you, you don't you don't do that. You don't do that in the go go spot. You know, especially <laughs> back then, especially back then, because the chance of you getting shot at is pretty, pretty high. <laughs> so I got, let's see, we got, we got enough for about one more, one more thing before we wrap it up. Sure. But, uh, this one comes from actually two people. Two people want to ask okay. this question. I feel it's a very good question uh, for you specifically. Uh, being, being a black male, what obstacles did you have to endure uh, in the 80s as both a martial artist and being a brave dancer in the 80s that, that you could give advice to for people that are coming up that are minorities as well in this cultural scene that probably didn't know what you had to go through um, back in your, back in your days. Well, that, you know, I can't, I can't, the martial arts really being an African-American and doing Chinese martial arts. I mean, that's, you know, that's a separate thing sort of, so I'm going to mm-hmm. stick with the dance part. Um, let me tell you, I, I'll say that, I'll say this, I'll say this, uh, it ain't easy. It ain't easy trying to be an African American doing Chinese martial arts because they think, you know, because I'm not Asian, um, it, you know, I can't be any good. But I mean, and no matter how much I win, I just, I just got done competing uh, last weekend uh, um, over at the Gaylord, the National Harvard the Capital Classic. You know, one, you know, grand champ, you know, one champion for weapons again. You know, because uh, the tournament hadn't been done since 2019. But long story short, I won. You know, placed in all my categories. I won championship. Just that the other, I did the evening finals, and I was still getting looked at as like, man, yeah, yeah he's all right, but he's not him. But for dance, yeah, for dance, it's 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 no big deal. I never got, you know, we we never got um, disrespected for dancing, um, as far as like being, you know, being a person of color, because we the people of color created we created it. <laughs> we created it, you know? I mean, that's just a fact. Blacks and Latinos created, you know, what the world knows now is hip-hop. Um, so I don't think there's any... any. I, I think dancers now, I think they have a lot of opportunity, and that's a good thing. I'm glad for them. And I told you guys, you know, shout-out to uh, 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 Urban Artistry. Shout-out to Assassins. Everybody I know in Urban Artistry, I'm, I'm so proud of those guys. Those, those, those men and women, those guys and gals, those ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm so proud of them because um, they were, they're able to take what we did and, and, and be able to make a living off of it. You know, um, if it's a side hustle, it's a well-paid side hustle. And it's something that they enjoy doing, something they would do. The best job you can have is something you would do for free for the rest of your life. You just have to get paid well. That's the greatest job you can have because you don't look at it as work. Um, I will say this though, 
hip hop is hip hop is different. Hip hop is not what it was. You know, there's four components to hip hop. Um, you got and, and everything connected back then. Everything connected back then. So you got your break, your b boy, b girl. You got the DJ that's making the music. You got the MC that's rapping, and you got the graffiti artist that's doing all the, the, the artwork. So most rappers, most rappers at that time, even even in even in uh, uh, '85, okay, most rappers, we, we used to do we used to go to uh, the back to school jam. If anybody my age that remembers the back to school jam, and the back to school jam was really um, uh, uh, rappers. You know all these, you know, up and coming or or well known rappers, you know, coming out and performing together. So the last back to school jam I can remember was like it was like Run DMC, Houdini, Curtis Blow, um, and then they had Dynamic Breakers dancing for them. All that's connected. All that's connected. You know, at the Washington Coliseum, matter of fact. Um, <clears throat> but all that's connected, and then, and then from the music standpoint, you had, you know, the you have the the MC, the DJ, and the graffiti artist usually did the album cover, you know. And now it's like, and then you know you you, you have B boys dance for you. Now it's it's completely separate. Everything's completely separate, you know, which is which is a shame because you you're missing a lot of that integral culture. Because I know a lot of people. I know, you know, we had a guy named uh, Lucky Seven, graffiti artist. I can't, I can't count how many be- how many graffiti jackets that boy made. I mean, guy, I mean, he had a, he had a waiting list from what I remember, and he was good. Yeah, all day. <laughs> I want to say uh, thank you for being on tonight, man. And uh, before I before I wrap this up, man, I just want to say it's an honor to have you on tonight, man. Um, and Jay, last words you want to get off your chest so everybody looking out tonight. And you got Kalindra from uh, Urban Archie here. I saw I saw Iron Man roughly here tonight. So they're definitely in the chat right now. That's my, you that's love, my so. guy all day. That's my man. That's my I'm going to adopt that boy. I tell you, I'm going to adopt him. Put the paperwork in. <laughs> I'm going to adopt that boy. He don't know him yet. We probably know now. But I'm going to adopt his ass. <laughs> I'm gonna take his, and I'm going to take his son and make him my grandson. I'm going to adopt both of them. <laughs> but. Um, no, I mean, I'm, I'm again a shout out to everybody for your patience. I am so so sorry that a simple thing like following jammed everything up. I so I I apologize. I'm just not that tech dude, and I and I'm, sorry, I'm sorry about that. But um, no, I mean everybody that's out there, you know, keep keep dancing, keep doing what you do what you love. If you want to do this, you want to make money at it, and you're good enough, do it. You know, but as as and Russell Iron Man can attest because. We, he and I and Charles Gore had a conversation one night down at 18th Street Lounge, and we told him, don't, and I, and I told this to everybody, don't be a ghetto superstar. Don't be somebody just known in the hood. You, yeah, it's nice to be known in, in your neighborhood, you know, but if you want to really see if you can make it, you know, it's easy to be a big fish in a little pond. Take yourself out there in that ocean yeah. and see if you can swim, swim, with those, swim with those sharks and them whales and survive. And then be, make a make your mark out there. That's that's the true test. Anybody can be small. Everybody good in their house. Who's not good in their house? You know, I'm supposed to be good in my house. My house. Go out and do other stuff. You know, shout out to uh, uh, Tasha from Urban Artistry. She won, uh, you know, for House Dance World Championship. Good for her. I am so happy for her. 
And, you know, I, I think her degree is in dance, from what I remember. But get out there and do it and love it. And if you if you love it, it it'll be easy for you. But, you know, but again, spend time honing your craft, you know, honing your craft and take care of yourself physically because it's a lot of conditioning that you got to do, you know, so. Yes, sir. Yo, Ron, it was an honor tonight, bro. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you so much for telling you, your story, bro. You. Thank you. Yes, sir. Have a good night, right. everybody. Uh, this Thursday, I uh, will have Chameleon on uh, this week uh, speaking on natural elements history, as long as the LOZ history. So that should be a good one this Thursday. Definitely tune in. And um, definitely hit up Ron Willett tonight. Follow him on uh, Instagram. Reach him out on Facebook if you want to learn about more about him and hit him up. Make, make, make a connection, you know. So thanks again, Ron. Have a good night, bro. Thank you. Yes, sir. This is hidden gem. This is hidden gem. This is hidden gem. Welcome back, everybody.